0: The Bible is a big book. For a church to teach through all of its stories in any meaningful way would take years. So, what usually happens is certain stories and characters slip through the cracks. For those of us who have spent any amount of time in church, we probably know a good deal about Abraham, Moses, David, and Jonah. We certainly should know about Jesus. But there's a good chance we haven't heard much about Deborah, or Phoebe or Mary, or Priscilla. So, in this series, we hope to rediscover the important and often untold stories of women in the Bible. We appreciate you listening. May these stories compel us all to contemplate the beautiful and sometimes overlooked diversity of God's people. We are more than half the church.
1: So tonight, we're going to continue our sermon series called Half the Church, the important and often untold stories of women in the Bible. And tonight, if you have spent time with us, you may have heard a similar talk to this in the past. In fact, about a year or so ago, I think it was for Mother's Day, I um, talked about some of the... Uh, women in the Bible that Paul lists by name. But I wanted to go back to one of those women tonight because I believe that her story is important and untold. And I think that we can learn a lot from her, even though the text uh, about her is very, very terse. This is Paul concluding his uh, beautiful letter to the Romans Um, This is Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse one. I'm just gonna read a bunch of names to you. This is probably a part of this letter that is skipped over by most, but I think within there are things to be learned here. So this is Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse one. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my coworkers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our coworker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asencritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All of the churches of Christ send greetings. The word of God for the people of God. So not a typical section in which you might do your devotions, especially when you think about the beauty that is the book of Romans. Now, among the books of the Bible, Romans has probably occasioned more secondary literature than any other book of the Bible, at least in the the Christian New Testament. Scholars have poured over this um, difficult and beautiful and theologically rich letter that Paul has written to the Roman church. It is filled with all sorts of mysteries, and wonder and has caused a lot of people to think really long and hard about what it is that he is trying to communicate to this church. However, as I already mentioned, in Romans 16, there's probably not a lot that has been said about these verses because they seem pretty straightforward. I will say that within the collection of Paul's letters, this is really strange for him to greet so many people. In fact, I believe that the only other letter that even uh, comes close to this, Paul greets two or so people by name. And here in the book of Romans, he is greeting all sorts of people which is strange, especially for a church that he has not even been to. Tonight, though, I want to focus our attention on Phoebe, the first person that Paul mentions in this chapter. Uh, fun anecdote, in the Greek, the way that you pronounced Phoebe is actually Phoebe. That's a fun word to say, isn't it? So if you know anybody named Phoebe, start calling her Phoebe just for kicks. Um, so in this text, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? She's a deacon of the church in Centrea. Now, Paul is commending Phoebe to this people that he has not met yet, even though Paul has this relationship with Phoebe. They've spent uh, a number of of. Months together. Phoebe lives in Centrea, which is a port city of Corinth. Uh, I believe it's a handful of miles away from where Paul might have been stationed. He was there for quite some time writing and um, planting churches and things like that. And Paul has become a friend to Phoebe, and we'll see how their relationship or the nature of their relationship, we see what that's built on here in the next verse. But for right now, Paul is saying to these people that are reading the letter, I commend to you this person. She is a deacon of the church. In Centrea. Believe her, trust her, treat her well. Now, I used to be a teacher, and one of my jobs was to write letters of recommendation for people as they were applying to colleges. And it was one that I always held, uh, a job that I held dear to my heart that someone would entrust me with the task of representing them to people that they did not know to hopefully open up doors where they could go study in these cool. Programs and things, but the the best that I could do was always to be to try to um, let people know who these folks were to the best of my ability. And this is something similar to what's happening here. Paul is giving us a little bit of an anecdote as to who Phoebe is and why she should be trusted in the Roman Christian community. But not only that, now imagine for a second that when uh, you were traveling in the first century Jewish culture, there wasn't like a motel that you could go stop off the side of the road at and just stay at. Most of the time you were dependent upon the relationships that either you had or the people that you you knew had in the place where you were going. So what Paul is attempting to do is saying, "Hey, listen to this this woman. She is trustworthy, and she is one that you will want to bring into your community." It's like when we go uh, flying somewhere, we have paperwork that demonstrates who we are. But in the ancient world, what people had is letters of recommendation or paperwork that they could show to folks to say, "At least this is who other people think that I am." And this is what Paul is providing for Phoebe in this particular passage. One scholar says on top of this, it seems clear that Paul commends Phoebe because she is carrying the letter. Now tonight we're going to open up a little bit of the door of speculation, although there are some scholars that are going to go where we have gone before, but I think it's really interesting the things that Phoebe may have been up to in this early church setting. Uh, Beverly Gaventa says, it seems clear that Paul commends Phoebe because she is the one who is carrying the letter. Another scholar says, for Paul to trust her with a letter like this. Remember, a letter that he has poured himself into. This is Paul's magnum opus. Theologically speaking, he has labored over this letter to communicate the truths of the gospel to this audience. And this is one that the Christian community has held dear to their heart. And he is is entrusting it to Phoebe uh, and that he would do that. It speaks volumes for the respect in which she was held. So it is no surprise to discover that she is a deacon within the church. Phoebe has been entrusted to carry this letter from Corinth off to the Roman Christian community. And Paul is trusting her because she has proven herself to be trustworthy. She is a deacon in the church. Now, when we see this this line that Phoebe is a deacon, this is a um, a loaded term that bespeaks of uh, one's leadership abilities in the early church. And maybe for some of you, you might be thinking, well, that, might, that doesn't really go with the other things that I know about Paul, like in the text in Timothy and Corinthians, where he is forbidding women from speaking in the local communities. That doesn't seem to be going along with what Paul is saying here. And some people have felt the weight of that when they're translating these passages. So looking at this term, which can be translated as deacon, other people have translated as Phoebe is a servant of the church at Centre, And that gives us a very different picture of what Phoebe is doing. She's not a leader. She's one who is trimming the hedges and cooking the meals. And she's one that's cleaning the, the, the worship space or something to that nature. Other translators have said that she is a key representative of the church at Centrea, or that she is a deaconess or a servant of the church at Centrea. When we talk about deaconess, that seems to uh, put us in the realm of a specific duty that is just for women, and perhaps in the church structures that you've been a part of in the past, a deaconess is one who does cook the meals, or a deaconess is the one who does the kids' ministry, or a deaconess has certain uh, obligations as a woman. Uh, perhaps the worst translation would be in the Living Bible. It says that Phoebe is a dear Christian woman from the town of Centrea. and how far have we gone from Phoebe being a deacon in this community to Phoebe being a special Christian woman? Like Those are two radically different things, but the best translation of this term is that Phoebe is a deacon, and at this time in the early church, we don't know exactly what that entails, but we do know that she is exerting some sort of leadership position within the early church, and Paul is entrusting her with the carrying of this document, this loaded theological document that he might not trust with any other people, but he says, Phoebe, I've seen how you do things. I've seen the way that you have led folks. I'm going to trust you with this monumental task to go and to take this letter to these people that need to hear about the gospel to be continued in their, uh, in their faith relationship with Jesus. Phoebe is not just a dear Christian woman. Phoebe is actually in a position of leadership, N.T. Wright says, and Paul respected her as such and expected the Roman church to do so as well. And we can stop right here for a second. Because I think for some of us, I don't know your church background, I don't know the baggage that you bring with us when, when you come into this space, I don't know uh, where you've been and what you've heard, but perhaps this statement here might be one that is difficult for you to accept, but I want, what I want you to try to hear this evening is that God is in the practice of using unlikely characters to serve in monumental roles in the church, and perhaps some of you, as you're sitting here, you have written yourself out of the story because of your gender. Some of you have written yourself out of the story because of your past. Some of you have written yourself out of the story because of your doubts or your difficulties or, or the, the things that may be true about you or maybe the lies that you have accepted to be true for yourself. And at least what I want to throw into the mix this evening is that we should not allow ourselves to be shortchanged by telling God what we can and what we cannot do, because all throughout scripture, we see people who might not fit the mold, but they accomplish great things according to God's calling. And I don't know where you are this evening, but I do know that if you're anything like me, perhaps you've, you've felt a tug on your heartstrings, as they say, to go and to do something but you have written yourself out of the story. It took me years to be okay standing where I am right now. I enjoy this part of it, you know? But when it comes to like pastoral ministry, It is not my strong suit because I don't believe that I fit the mold that I have cast for myself because of my own experiences and the pastors who sat at the back of the church and could talk to a wall that could shake hands and make people feel warm and included and excited about life. That is not me. If you've ever seen me out in public, you know that. It's a struggle. Do I talk to them? Do I wave? So you might see me like this, like in a coffee shop, like, hi, hey, it's not, it might not be like where I'm most comfortable, but I'm tired of writing myself out of the story because when it comes down to it, I would love to sit across the table from any one of you and hear your stories and to tell you mine and to tell you that Jesus in fact does love you and has not left you, and has not abandoned you, and that Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. And I want to be a part of that, and we can struggle to figure out what that looks like together. And that's not me at the back of the church, or me at Rise Up like being real normal, but that's me saying, That's how I want to pastor. And had I not been able to say yes to God's call, that might've been something that has been stripped from me, but I got tired of telling God what he could and could not do with regard to my life. And hopefully some of you feel that as well. Phoebe might not be the stereotypical vision of leadership in the early church that you think about, but darn it in Romans, she's doing it. So either get on board or back on up because She's the one who is leading and she is the one that Paul is trusting and Paul is expecting the Roman church to see her in a position of leadership and to respect her as he does as well. Now, this is where we're going to start opening the door to a little bit of speculation, but boy, if this isn't fun, I don't know what is. Okay, Beverly Gaventa says this, if Phoebe is the carrier of the letter, and most scholars agree on that point, and at least from my commentary selection, that seems to be the case. From very conservative to wildly liberal, everybody's saying, it seems as though Paul is entrusting the task of carrying the letter to the Roman church to Phoebe, She goes on to say, then she was almost certainly engaged in discussing its content in advance. Paul was not just sitting at his study, writing a letter saying, hmm, that sounds really good. Put the final period on it and then send it over to Phoebe and say, Phoebe, take this letter that I wrote by myself and send it over to the the Roman church. It was more likely the case, and we see this throughout scripture, that Paul is including other voices in the process of writing scripture. Woo! We don't talk about that much, do we? But it's in there. Paul is including these other people to have these conversations. And it may have been the case. Hear me. It may have been the case that Paul is bouncing ideas off of Phoebe and that Phoebe is responding. At the very least, she was probably aware of the contents of the letter could explain them to other people, knew what Paul was talking about so that when she shows up to the Roman church and slams the letter down on the table and they say, what's this? She says, well, let me tell you. Let me explain it to you. That is interesting. That'll be my word. That is interesting. Gaventa says she was almost certainly engaged in discussing its content in advance. And then she says there's yet another point to make, which is that, Phoebe is also the one who reads the letter aloud at Rome. This seems to be part of the deal. When you carry the letter, you are like the ambassador of the author, and you can speak this letter out and read this letter out to the community. And further, if Phoebe does read the letter, then she is the first interpreter of the letter. Oh, I love this. I really do. Because over the history, of interpretation as people have been pouring their hearts and souls over the book of Romans, the typical people that you would expect to have any sort of commentary on this letter look like this. Old white dudes talking about Romans. You know what I'm saying? Look at that guy in the back, right? What is he looking at? What's going on? Is this the best that they could do? And it's actually funny because I typed into my Google search, old seminary staff pictures, and do you know who this is? This is the founding staff of Westminster Theological Seminary, my alma mater. You know, it's like these are the guys that you would expect to have something to say about the book of Romans, these old crusty white guys that have been poring over these texts for years and years and years, but one of the first interpreters perhaps of the book of Romans, is Phoebe, Foy Bay, showing up to say, hey, Paul has written this letter, and he's entrusted it to me, and I can break off some knowledge for you if need be. The, the, the difficult passages in Romans 9 through 11 about election and Israel and all that stuff, let me explain that to you, Phoebe says. The things that massive amounts of dissertations have been written about. Phoebe says, oh, I know what Paul was writing because it was funny. When he was writing that, I was standing there and I was eating this apple and we were talking back and forth and it was just this moment. You know, it's like she knows what she's talking about and I should throw a big fat perhaps onto this. But at the very least, what we have is an unlikely character who has been given this task of carrying this beautiful, theologically potent letter to a people group, entrusting, she has been entrusted with the task of making sure that it is safe and that it has been um, passed amongst the churches so that we have it and can benefit from it now. Foy Bay. Hmm, that's good. Okay. So, Paul continues and he says, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her help that she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor. Uh, the Greek is jacked up again. This is the prostatus of many people, including me. She has been the benefactor or the prostatus of many people. In other words, Jimmy Dunn says, Paul's readers were unlikely to think of Phoebe as other than a figure of significance whose wealth or influence had been put at the disposal of the church in Centrea, Phoebe was a person of means. It doesn't say anything about her husband, which leads us to believe that Phoebe didn't have a husband or that she was widowed because Paul would usually include them in the letter. But here we just have Phoebe as one who has wealth and influence. N.T. Wright again says, benefaction or patronage were a vital part of the culture. And this makes Phoebe someone to be reckoned with socially and financially, as well as simply a sister in the Lord and leader of whatever sort in her local church. And I think Bev Gaventa uh, hammers this point home. She says, as the prostatus or patron Uh, Phoebe would have advanced Christian mission in some concrete ways. In short, if first century churches had buildings and buildings had wall plaques, Phoebe's name might well appear at the top of that list. You know when you go into a school and you see those bricks and it says in memory of so and so or in honor of such and such. Phoebe in this construction that Bev Gaventa is uh, coming up with would have been at the top of the list. She is a person of means and wealth and she was not afraid to put that back into the Christian community to care for her people. She's breaking down these boundaries. She is a leader in this early church. Paul is entrusting her with this very significant task, and she is one that has been a benefactor for these people from the very beginning. Paul says she's the benefactor of many, she's also been the benefactor of of me. We don't know what she did. We don't know the story of that relationship. We only get these two verses in the New Testament, but Phoebe has demonstrated herself to be one who cares about the community. And she has put her money where her mouth is. She has sown seeds back into this community and will not hesitate to do so again when she goes to Rome. Now, I want us to consider this because when Paul is talking about the women in his ministry that have helped, in a sense, to fund him, it takes me back to a text in Luke's gospel. Paul is not the weird one who is entrusting some of his ministry to the women in the, uh, in the early church. We see this text in Luke chapter eight. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, his disciples, the people that he has handpicked to be part of his ministry. There's all sorts of really interesting first century Jewish context with the choosing of the apostles and the disciples, but we're gonna leave that off to the side. These are his, his team of people that he, in Luke's gospel, is entrusting to go out and to do the things that he does, to cast out demons, to teach the people, to be his hands and feet on the ground doing the work, as it were. Jesus is with the 12, and we know those sorts of stories. If you guys have spent any amount of time in church or specifically Sunday school, you've heard of the 12 disciples, but this tidbit you may not have heard because it continues. He says the 12 were with him and some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, women like this, Mary called Magdalene, Mary from a region of Magdala uh, in Galilee, from whom seven demons had come out of. We don't know a lot of this story either, but the author seems to be emphasizing that this is a lot of demons. One guy says, uh, Mary Magdalene, the one who had seven demons cast out of her because people were counting at the time. They weren't. I thought that was funny. Okay, moving on. You guys don't like demon jokes. Okay, uh, I'll n- note that for next time. Uh, seven demons had come out of her like a complete number. She was in a way, so to speak, but she has been delivered completely by Jesus' ministry and now she was following him around, seeing the ministry that he would do. Mary Magdalene side note was also one who was present at the crucifixion, saw where Jesus' body laid and then went to anoint his body after his burial. Really important person in this narrative. But some other people that we may not have heard of, it says Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. It's interesting here that when we see Jesus interacting with women, he's breaking down social barriers. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about Jesus and Mary and Martha. Martha in the back, doing the dishes, getting real ticked at her sister because her sister was sitting at Jesus' feet. You do not do that if you are a woman. But Jesus says that Mary has chosen what is better to Martha. He is allowing this woman to be at his feet, hearing the teaching. Jesus is breaking down these social barriers. And we see in this text something akin to that, or at least something that's really strange. Let's leave Mary Magdalene off to the side for a second and focus in on Joanna, the wife of Huza, the manager of Herod's household. This is important because it demonstrates that, yes, Jesus um, ministered to the people on the margins and the outskirts. Yes, Jesus uh, had an attractive ministry to the lowest of the low, the poor and the outcast, the broken, the suffering and all those sorts of people. But Joanna was not that. Joanna was a woman of means, a woman of status, because her husband was the manager of Herod's household the one who was in charge of this entire region, who had all sorts of uh, money at his disposal and things at his disposal. And Chuzah was the one who was managing these things, getting paid for that, slipping some of that money to Joanna, his wife, that comes from the powers that be, the man, the system, paying his wife or giving some money to his wife, and she's following Jesus around, paying for his dinner you see what's going on here? The money from the top, the people that want Jesus dead, is bankrolling and funding his entire ministry. That's hilarious. Herod wants Jesus to be dead. Why? Because Jesus is starting a revolution. People that are following him and Herod, as, as the power of that time, did not want to see any sort of revolutionary invade on his turf and wants to kill Jesus. Meanwhile, Cusa, who's getting paid to do the work of managing Herod's household is giving money to his wife who is following Jesus around Galilee, watching him heal people, watching him preach to the broken and to the marginalized and the oppressed, watching him have these beautiful conversations around the table and being present for those. And if there was a bill that needed to be paid, perhaps Joanna was able to say, here, I've got some money from Herod that I can put down on that meal. That is awesome. And here we see these overtones of Jesus with women, and we see Paul, who is being funded by Phoebe as the benefactor. And Jesus, in this text, it says these women were helping to support them out of their own means. I wish we had more detail. What are the means that Mary Magdalene had? What are the means that Susanna had? What is even her story? I want to hear more about Joanna and her husband and how that relationship worked. I want to hear if he's on board or if she's like covertly hanging out. I want, there's just so many questions that are going on here. But basically when we see in these two passages... Where you see Paul celebrating Phoebe, trusting her with this monumental task to go and to take this letter that will change, fundamentally change people's lives when we read it. Celebrating her as a leader in the early church and saying, Do well by her because she has been a benefactor to many people and she has been a benefactor to me. There are things that we can learn from this instance. One we already talked about. Perhaps you're called to do something great that you have written yourself out of that story. I would plead with you not to tell God what he can and cannot do when it comes to your life and your potential and your potential witness. But I would also encourage you to see one other factor. And this is where I might put on my stereotypical pastor hat. And you don't see me put this on too often, but it's gonna, it's gonna come right at you. Here we go. In this text... Paul celebrates Phoebe for being one who is generous with her finances for the sake of Christ's community. Wherever you are, whatever your story is, whether your bank account looks fat, whether your bank account is quite lean, we have opportunities to put our money where our mouth is to invest into the people around us and to live into this generosity where we can do great things for the kingdom and we can do better things together than we can do alone. So without tying this up too neat, and I did not do this intentionally, but get ready for it, we have an opportunity this evening. We have an opportunity to be like Phoebe, not in the funding of TRP. I believe that God will provide for our needs. I also believe that God will provide for our young women's needs, but I believe that God enjoys when we demonstrate our generosity, when we make steps to say, I'm gonna withhold some of the things that I like and give it to someone else. One of my weaknesses, you know this, is iced caramel lattes from Rise Up. I feel like a real doofus when I order them, but I enjoy drinking them, and I'm not ashamed of that. But they're $5 a pop. Kate and I just bought a house last week. The time of my iced caramel lattes is coming to an end. But I'm hopeful that I can even make a small decision of saying, you know what, I'm gonna withhold this so that I can be more generous in the lives of people that I care about and in the lives of people that I believe God is going to do something great in. And tonight we have an opportunity to do that. I'm hopeful that wherever you are, you would not write yourself out of the story. God can do and will do great things through you. I'm also hopeful that you will live up to this witness that we see in Phoebe's life where she has demonstrated herself to be a leader amongst leaders. And at least part of her characteristics was she lived a life of radical generosity on behalf of God's people. I'm hopeful that that takes root in our lives as well.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of TRP's podcast. The Restoration Project is a church affiliated with a Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. If you're in the area, we invite you to join us for one of our weekly services on Sundays at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, we believe that there is room for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.restoresby.org. And for past teachings, feel free to check out our SoundCloud page at www.soundcloud.com slash restore or to make it easier subscribe to our podcast on iTunes we hope to see you soon